Welcome to Hearing the Music, a show where we explore musical masterpieces and the meaning behind them. The music you're hearing is a chorale called Christus der Unseligmacht. In translation, that's Christ who makes us blessed. It's the opening of part two of Johann Sebastian Bach's Good Friday masterpiece, The St. John Passion. I'm Mark Bertrand. I'm a novelist and a Christian minister, the pastor of Grace Presbyterian Church in Sioux Falls. I'll be unpacking the ideas of the gospel narrative that Bach set to music. Our guide to the music is Delta David Geyer, music director of the South Dakota Symphony Orchestra. David conducted the St. John Passion in 2014 and has joined me here in the studio with the score open in front of him. Later, we'll hear from Dr. James Johnson, the SDSO's chorus master, on some of the nuances of Bach's composition. First, let's enjoy the rest of this chorale. Before I forget, this is Episode 2, Trial and Tribulation. That chorale begins part two of St. John Passion. It's a bit of a recapitulation of events we've just uh, traversed in part one. The text says Jesus, who makes us blessed, committed no evil, yet he was uh, seized as a thief. In the night, led forth and falsely accused, laughed at, scorned, despised, as the scripture says. And that as the scripture says, leads into the next recitative, which continues the, the narrative of God's, John's gospel. I think it would be a good idea at this point to pause and just kind of recap the narrative, like how far we've come. So as we talked about in episode one, in the St. John Passion, Bach is using the text from John's gospel, the whole of chapter 18 and the whole of chapter 19. In episode one, we saw the arrest of Jesus, and we saw his uh, trial before the high priest, specifically uh, Peter's denial of Jesus. We fast-forwarded over some of the details there, so we didn't get um, into something that Bach actually does cover, which is Jesus before the high priest and the interaction that happens there. We left off last time in what would be John chapter 18, verse 27, with Peter's denial and the crowing of the the cock. And now in part two, we pick up the story at that point. So we're picking up in John 18, 28. And in the section we're looking at in episode two, we're going to see a lot of back and forth dialogue. There's going to be a lot of dialogue between uh, not only the evangelist narrating, but between Jesus and Pilate, who is the Roman authority who is in charge of the trial of Jesus. We'll also see Pilate arguing back and forth with the religious leaders who have brought Jesus on trial, and there'll be a kind of uh, negotiation that takes place in which we'll see the the virulent opposition against Jesus of those leaders. And we'll also see that Pilate is caught in the middle. He recognizes the innocence of Jesus, and yet at the same time 
is a weak leader who's concerned about the approval of the people and the approval of Caesar, and so he's easily manipulated. So John contrasts the strength of Christ as a spiritual king with the weakness and prevarication and the anger of all of those who are around him. This next recitative illustrates those things, Mark, that you were just talking about. Basically, we have four different characters uh, that you'll hear in this in this excerpt. You'll have the evangelist, uh, St. John writing the gospel, which is Timothy Bench. We also have the character of Pilate, sung by Stephen Condy. Uh, Jesus, sung by Craig Hart, who's a bass. And then we have the crowd, sung by the symphony chorus. It's perhaps uh, illustrating this idea that Pilate is weaker and Jesus stronger. Uh, we have a series of questions posed by Pilate in this recitative. You'll hear, uh, you'll hear him first say, well, so you're a king then? And Jesus said, well, you say I'm a king, but whoever's, uh, whoever is of the truth, he hears my voice. And then Pilate says, well, who, what is truth? It's kind of passing that back to Jesus. And after that, he um, goes out to the crowd and says, I, I don't find any fault in this man. However, you have a custom that I release someone to you. So would you like me to release this king of the Jews? And then the chorus will come in as the crowd, and he'll say, not this one, but rather Barabbas. And the evangelist then uh, jumps right in impassionately and said, but Barabbas was a murderer. And then Pilate took him out and had him scourged. Da sprach Pilatus zu ihm, so bist du den noch ein König. Jesus antwortete, du sagst, ich bin ein König, ich bin dazu geboren, und in die Welt kommen, dass ich die Wahrheit hören soll. Wer aus der Wahrheit ist, der hört meine Stimme. Spricht Pilatus zu ihm, was ist Wahrheit? Und da er das gesagt, ging er wieder hinaus zu den Jüdern und spricht zu ihnen. Ich finde keine Schuld an ihm. Ihr habt aber eine Gewohnheit, dass ich euch eine Lust gebe. Wollt ihr nun, dass ich euch der Jüden König losgebe? Da schrien sie wieder allesamt und sprachen. Und gar 
So, Mark, there are times when Bach has been accused of anti-Semitism because, specifically because of this passion, because of the text of uh, the Jews did this, the Jews said that, um, and, it, and they're in a very antagonistic role here. Why, or why do we have this issue, particularly with this piece, do you think? That's a good question. When you're reading the text, you'll see um, John's gospel will refer to the Jews did this or the Jews did that. And he uses that term as a shorthand for the religious leaders, the high priest and his circle who are involved. And it's important to remember that that's what he's referring to, because, of course, Jesus himself is Jewish. Simon Peter is Jewish. Everyone in the story is Jewish, except for Pilate, who points this out when he turns to Jesus and says, am I a Jew? You know, I shouldn't know anything about your internal squabbles. So it is a very Jewish story that's being told. John's gospel was probably written a little bit later on in the history where Christianity, which began as a movement within Judaism, within the synagogues, there had been a a break at that point. And he's writing to an audience that is not uh, steeped in that culture any longer. And so he's using that term as a shorthand. I don't think John, the evangelist, intends uh, an anti-Semitic statement. He is himself Jewish. And it's possible that people can misconstrue a text and use it in ways it's not intended for. But I think it's also the case that Bach does not intend to express that kind of a sentiment. Quite the opposite, right? I mean, he's, um, he's really trying to be made true to the gospel narrative as is presented in the book of John. That's right. And the fact that John was writing for a Hellenistic culture who had no point of reference back to Jewish culture would have explain, explains the, that particular language which you don't find in the other gospels, correct? That's right, that's right. So in John's gospel, because it, the story is thematically arranged, you do see uh, certain differences from the other gospels, and one of the things you see is, is a kind of dualism that's expressed. So Jesus, who is pure and is holy, is confronted by various examples of weakness and duplicity and, and, uh, and betrayal, throughout this passage, and the contrast is meant to illustrate the the purity of Christ. So at this point, we have a beautifully contemplative aria sung by Stephen Condi, Betrachte meine Seele, contemplate my soul with anxious pleasure, uh, the highest good in Jesus' suffering, that how for you out of the thorns that pierce him, the tiny keys of heaven bloom. Um, so at the beginning of his suffering, at right after the scourging that we've just heard in the previous recitative, we're asked to, to sort of prepare ourselves for what's about to take place uh, in the sense that, that we're, we need to, to contextualize this with, within, the greater, within, within the greater good that's about to come out of, of this, this ordeal. Our Chorus Master James Johnson points out that this aria falls directly in the center of the St. John Passion, which is important for Bach, the placement of of different pieces. But he also uh, points us to specific instruments that are used. And then to do it with two of the instruments that that Bach himself spent a fair amount of time playing, the lute and the viol d'amore. And it is 
such a personal reaction to this sacrifice, to this ultimate perfect sacrifice, to say, look, my soul, you have to, as as a person, consider this agony and the rapture and the, the, the whole pain that was part of, of this. Before we continue with the gospel narrative, um, in our conversation with James Johnson earlier, we talked about the different role or roles that the chorus plays. And you'll notice throughout the upcoming recitative that the chorus pops in in a lot of different contexts. So James, give us some insight. The chorus itself, I think, is is very, very much uh, a, a, a mirror for for Bach of uh, of his idea through Luther of of what the human condition is that uh, that we are both sinner and saint uh, and then also in in the passion itself that we're uh, the perpetrators uh, of it but we are also the the penitents who who realize what what has uh, what has happened and and that we are responsible in it. Musically, we left off with Jesus being flogged and followed by a beautifully contemplative aria on Christ's suffering. And now we re-enter the, the gospel narrative where Jesus is being crowned. Yeah, and the, there's an irony to this because the question throughout these chapters has been whether Jesus is a king and what kind of king he is. And we're seeing here he is going to be crowned, albeit with a crown of thorns. They will sing a song hailing him as king, although it is a song of mockery. So ironically, they are giving him the the worship that is his due, the coronation that is his due. But as John is pointing out, his kingdom is not like earthly kingdoms, and his coronation is not like earthly coronations. Here, he has come to suffer death on the cross, but he's done it for our salvation. He's done it to achieve that future glory. Indeed. So in this upcoming narrative, the um, so what strikes me is the use of the chorus again. And when he's saying, you know, hail king of the Jews is what they're saying. But And I would have thought that it would have been like an angry kind of mocking. But the way Bach sets it, it's, it's almost dismissive. It's just very light and like, you know, just mocking. Yeah, it is. I think it, it captures very well the the spirit of these men. They don't take it seriously. They're having fun with it, ironically, as they're inflicting this torture. Und die Kriegsknechte flochten eine Krone von Dornen. 
Interject a moment in the middle of this narrative, um, just to point out some of the some of the unique qualities of, of the recitative here, where where Pilate is basically once again saying, "I see no problem with this man," but then he throws a a crown of thorns on him and and a, and a purple robe and and says, "Behold the man." With that in mind, let's listen to the first of two crucify him sections. You can hear the tension in the chorus as they sing the word kreuzige, which means crucify. You'll hear dissonances grinding between soprano and alto and then tenor and bass, and they layer on top of each other in a kind of mass hysteria. Seht, ich führe ihn heraus zu euch, dass ich erkennet, dass ich keine Schuld an ihm finde. Also ging Jesus heraus und trug eine Dornenkrone und Jumping ahead here to a pivotal moment of decision for Pilate. Pilate knows that Jesus is not worthy of death, but he 
can't convince the crowd of that, and they finally find the way to get him to go along with what they want. They tell him, if you let this man go, then you are no friend of Caesar's, for whoever makes himself a king is against Caesar. And that does the trick. Pilate decides to give them what they want to crucify Jesus. But interestingly, once he's made that capitulation, he starts to mock them. So he presents Jesus to them as their king. He says, behold, this is your king. And when they reject that idea, he emphasizes it further. You don't want me to crucify your king, do you? That sort of thing. And what that has the effect of doing is getting the people riled up so that they eventually make the the damning declaration, uh, we have no king but Caesar. Right, so that's what you'll hear in this in the rest of this narrative here is you'll hear Pilate say, so here's your king and them reacting. And it becomes more dismissive as it goes. Um, the chorus sings, away, away with him, vague, vague mit dem. Um, and over that um, is uh, integrated the, the crucify him again. You know, building, 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 you know, Kreuzigin. Then Pil- you'll hear Pilate say again, shall I crucify your king? And then, surprisingly, again, to me, the, the, the chorus uh, representing the, the crowd sings, we have no king but Caesar. But again, it's dismissive. It's, it's almost not serious. It's like, just, just be done with it. das ist euer König. Sie schreien After that very dismissive chorus proclaiming that we have no king but Caesar, Pilate proclaims that Jesus should be crucified. You'll notice in the following recitative the, that the evangelist sings very expressively, particularly on the word gekreuziget, crucified, that he should be crucified. This recitative ends by saying that he was taken to the place called Golgotha, sets up the next aria beautifully. Das 
Kirche trug sein Kreuz und ging hinaus zur Stelle, die da heißt Schädelstedt, welche heißt auf Hebräisch Golgatha. So Jesus has been crucified. How am I to respond to that? The next aria, which is Eilt, ihr angefochtenen Seelen, hurry, you besieged souls, illustrates a rushing toward the cross. It begins in the strings with this ascending motive, which is then picked up by the soloist. It's rising and it's rushing forward. And the text is, hurry to Golgotha, to the cross. And there, take up the wings of faith and fly. And the chorus you'll hear in the background sings, Vohin, Vohin, where to? Where are we flying? The answer is to the hill of the cross, for your salvation blooms there. That's an amazing line to me because... A lot of times you might imagine that there's this this hurry, this rush to come to like the scene of an accident or a catastrophe or something. But the energy that you hear in this piece is urging people to gather together to coalesce on, on the cross, the place of their salvation. It's as if by the act of Christ's death, the cross has become the tree of life. This is the place to uh, seek shelter and and salvation. It's time to bring this episode to a close. Let's end with some music that may sound familiar, even if the lyrics you associate with it are different. This is the chorale in Minus Herzen Gründe. In the bottom of my heart, your name and cross alone sparkles.
Thanks for joining us for Episode 2, Trial and Tribulation. Next time, through Box Music, we will contemplate the crucifixion of Jesus. David and I would like to thank our special guest this week, Dr. James Johnson, for sharing his insight with us. You can hear our entire interview by visiting us online at hearingthemusic.org.